And I think that's actually one of the reasons why you practice as an instrumentalist is you practice over and over and over again so that the muscle memory happens. So that when in the middle of a performance, somebody uses flash on their camera accidentally, you're not totally thrown by it and you can, com you can complete your song, you know? Yes, it's annoying to use flash in the middle of a performance, but um, if you've practiced enough, if you've built up those habits, then those habits can sustain you when, when things hit the fan. <laughs> You're listening to the Creative Habits Podcast, exploring the boundaries of creativity with artists from around the globe. And now your host, Wyatt Christman. Hey, this is Wyatt with the Creative Habits Podcast. Thanks a lot for listening. This week we have Emily Ann Peterson on the line. And uh, it's great. We get to go through a bit of her co-creation process, which she uses when she mixes music with uh, a yoga class. Uh, pretty interesting stuff. Also, uh, delving into some of the pivot uh, that she had to make when she was diagnosed with an essential hand tremor. Um, we also talk about marketing and a bit of the creative personality. Lots of great tidbits in here. I think you'll enjoy it. Hey, this is Wyatt with Creative Habits Podcast. Thanks a lot for listening. And this week we've got Emily Ann Peterson on. Hey, Emily. Thanks for Hi. being on here. Hey, so uh, for those that don't know you, can you give us a little uh, brief introduction? Sure. So I am a singer-songwriter, a teaching artist, and a creative entrepreneur. And I'm based out of the Pacific Northwest right now. But I've lived in Georgia and Texas and, and other places around the world, too. Right. And, and yeah, go ahead. Well, and I was just going to say, and I am so stoked to be here because there is so much that I have to say about habits and creativity just based on my musical career um, and also even like working within a business as well. It's really practically the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it is. Now, you know, part of your uh, history with music. Um, you know, it's, it goes back to being thrown a wrench in 2013. Um, can right. you give us a, a little window into that, uh, quote unquote, you know, degenerative biological clock, you know, kind of what that is and how you, um, made a pivot with that? Right. So, um, about, you know, three, three, four years ago, I was diagnosed with an essential tra hand tremor. So, one essential hand tremor <laughs> in my right hand. And at the time I was a full-time um, performing and teaching cellist. So the, I play, play the cello as my most proficient instrument. Um, and I had been playing since, you know, a, a child. I'd been playing the cello. Um, yeah. And one day I started noticing my hand was shaking, you know, like at first it had started happening when I was eating, you know, talking with a friend, I'd get so distracted. And then I'd notice that my friend's eyes would like look down at my hand and I'd catch my own hand shaking. Um, and I thought it was like some medication I was on or something and that maybe I should get off of it. So I got off of it um, with my doctor's approval, of course. Um, and then the tr tremor started just getting worse and I didn't know like what to do about it. It just shakes just like a little tiny baby sh tremor. And then one day as I was preparing to teach a cello lesson for one of my students, um, I heard the tremor through my instrument 
And that was the day that I called my general practitioner and was like, something is up. I can't control my own bow hand. Um, and it was devastating. I mean, she practically held my hand on the way to the neurologist's office and he diagnosed it um, as a degenerative um, neurological essential tremor. And it basically just means that when it's um, when it's in action or in the process of movement, it shakes. Um, and unfortunately, it's most evident when my hand is relaxed and moving through space, <laughs> which is what um, happens when you're bowing on the instrument of the cello or any stringed instrument, actually. But right, and that so I mean because playing the cello is such a huge part of your life and then you know you have this moment where that's not going to be necessarily the case what was the kind of process to kind of get through um that you know were there stages of grief and oh my you know let me tell you about the stages of grief there there is is not linear (laughs) it is is not linear at all it is like a roller coaster um, I mean, I think one of the things that I wasn't prepared for was that, uh, you know, making the lifestyle changes to compensate for this tremor was so affected every area of my life. Like it affected my relationships. I don't have the same coworkers now. Like I don't have hang out with all my music teacher friends as much. I mean, I definitely still do. Um, but we didn't have as much in common because now I was now I'm doing singer songwriter stuff, and so I had to kind of say goodbye to some really some coworker relationships. Um, I mean, my, my daily habits of practicing the instrument also changed as well. I like I don't practice hello as much as I practice some of the other instruments that I will be able to play for much longer, um, which is sad to me. You know, like there's. There's also been moments where I've unintentionally turned off the radio or turned switched songs on the in the car or something, and I have to go back and go like, wait, why did I switch that song? I actually really like that song, and I go back and listen. Oh, it's because the cellos come in at the bridge, and my brain was just like, nope, don't do that. <laughs> so it's been kind of all encompassing. So for for those that are you know because. In this day and age, there are many different things that can kind of hit you sideways. And how for for other people that might uh, obviously you said it's not linear, but and it's probably ongoing. But w- what kind of advice would you have for those that might have to make a drastic change and still be creative, but in another way? Totally. You know, I think so. I started a podcast. It's called Bare Naked Bravery, um, and one of the things that I've learned in the process of talking with all of my guests um, and and collecting future guests and everything is that, you know, people encounter really difficult stuff all the time, every day. And I was able to get through the grief quicker when I realized that I wasn't as special of a snowflake as I thought I was. if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, it not only is it nice to know that, you know, oh, there's, I have comrades in this like thing called life. Um, and you know, everybody gets smacked sideways by, you know, tragedies and 
diagnoses and getting laid off from work and relationships ending and all of this. So it happens. It all happens. And it's the second you realize that you, not that you shouldn't, because I don't like to use should and shouldn'ts and do's and don'ts all the time. But, um, but like, there's no need to feel as surprised that something's going to happen. Um, and I think that preparation is important. Um, is important to just even just like the openness of mind just to say hey you know something might happen tomorrow (laughs) or um and and not to go off into the deep dark you know hole that is you know being terrified and of everything in life but there, there is some freedom in acknowledging that like oh wow things might completely change and um, and I think that's actually one of the reasons why you practice as an instrumentalist is y- you practice over and over and over again so that the muscle memory happens so that when in the middle of a performance, somebody uses flash on their camera accidentally, you're not totally thrown by it and you can, com- you can complete your song, you know? Yes, it's annoying to use flash in the middle of a performance, but, um, if you've practiced enough, if you've built up those habits, then those habits can sustain you when, when things hit the fan. <laughs> yeah, and they and they do, and it's part of the brain is to just keep it nimble and have, uh, you know, not only the habits but also the freedom to just, uh, uh, you know, go different directions and play and see what happens. And yeah, that's and so you started the the podcast, which is excellent, and it's. Um, is is your podcast the reason you started the podcast? Can you tell us a little bit about it? But is the reason it tied into you've got the uh, online group class exploring creative courage yeah. called Moxie, and that's that's what your podcast covers too. So, so I'll you, give you a little bit of yeah. a sneak peek of how like the creative process behind everything that is happening right now because it's kind of fascinating. At least I think it is. Um, I started one day thinking, you know what, I'm kind of tired of having music being, um, it's all about me, you know, come to my show, come hear me play, come, you know, like buy my music, do these things. And I was like, I just want to flip it around. I want to help. I want to have something in my artisanal, um, handbag, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I want it in my handbag. I want it I want to be able to offer something to somebody and help them out. Um, so it's the whole thing started with just a little survey where I, I was asking some of my fellow creatives and musicians, you know, like about their morning daily creative routine um, because I have one and I thought, well, maybe that's been really helpful to me. So maybe that will help them. And I got some feedback from that and came up with this like little email course, which is no longer available for sale right the second because I'm remaking it into bigger, better things. Um, But that turned into me thinking, you know what? This is a book. This is like a real book. Um, So I've been writing this book called uh, Rainbows Die and Unicorns Fart, Finding Creative Courage When Things Hit the Fan. Um... And in the process of writing the book, I kept having these really phenomenal conversations. And I was like, you know, this, I want to keep, other people should be hearing these conversations too. So 
let's do a podcast. So that's what's happening right now. So the the book is 75% complete and the podcast will be ongoing, you know, even after the book is out and everything too. Nice. And of course, yeah. I already, already mentioned it, but you should uh, consider, you know, having the book uh, be named Creative Moxie. <laughs> yeah, well, so that's where, so I have a course that um, you can sign up as a waiting list if you'd like um, for the next time it the enrollment opens. It's called Moxie. Right. Um, and it's basically just everything I just talked about. It's the, it's going to be an online class. So everybody meets together. So it won't be a course where you just take it at your own pace. It's an actual scheduled class. Just cause I think we get a lot out of talking with other creatives, um, about their process. So we'll be talking about bravery and courage and creativity and innovation and vulnerability and, um, you know, all of those things that go into the big melting pot that is um, Moxie. Cool. So, um, what's a what's a story? Uh, you know, you could share uh, just a brief little snippet of something that's helped you in that process of creating this book. Um, that's that you know you said um, almost finished, right? Yeah, yeah, it's almost finished. Um, you mean like? The, the writing process itself, the book writing process? Well, both the book writing process and, you know, because you had delved into, uh, you know, talking to different uh, other creatives um, to get inspired for the book, right? So are there any, um, you know, stories well, in that, that, that? The book the book process that I went about, I actually wrote it from me, like sourced from within myself okay. first. Um, and I went through a couple editing processes with my editor, um, and then I started seeking out externally, um, feedback from other professionals and, um, you know, what their processes were like. So that's when the podcast came about was, was, was I looked at, I started looking outside of myself and was like, yes, all of this is true. Let's talk about it. So the, the process, the book writing process, and I actually, think that this is this stands true with songwriting as well like i have to start from a really messy lump of clay to use another creative medium as a metaphor um and i have to mold that unformed thing into what i might create into a song or a book a more podcast or a blog post or whatever um and the easiest way for me to do that with uh, songwriting is to create a lyric palette for myself. So if I want the song to be like the song I just finished yesterday is all about um, like is kind of a micro brood song, basically a song about place and home and belonging. And so I used Georgia, Texas and the Northwest and looked up, I made big long lists of all of the native plants, insects, foods that I remembered from those three places. Um, and those each became three different verses and three different choruses. So then I had this, like, I have these like really long lists of words that I can use. Some of them I picked just because they sound cool. Like the word fireweed, there's a plant up here in the Northwest called fireweed. Um, 
and then of course you have blue bonnets in Texas. Um, so some of them I would use because I have, I wanted to use them for poetic license, but some of them I was using just to like directly literally refer to them. Um, and the book writing process was very similar. You know, I, I just started with a really messy mind map, um, like bubbles all tied to themselves or tied to each other and themselves. And it just looks like a rat's nest of ideas and thoughts. Um, and then slowly as you morph those around and move them around, there's order starts to happen. Um, and that, and that order became the chapters. Um, nice. so yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, so that, that will be coming out. When is that coming out? Uh, the book comes out in 2017, probably early 2017. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I also have a, an, another album in, in the docket too. It's like available for pre-order right now. So I have a lot of things that are like about ready to be birthed. Um, which is one of the reasons why I started doing the podcast. Cause I was like, you know, I, I'm heading into a really creatively productive season and I want to be able to share that with people and, um, and learn from other people in that process as well. So cool. Now, one of the, one of the, uh, w- what I find really creative processes that you do, it, it's a co-creation process with yoga classes. Uh, and you know, can you describe a bit of that? It's, yeah. it's, you, you craft sounds and vibrations and encourage movement and growth appropriate for that day's yoga practice. So how, how does yeah. that, you know, give us a window into that. Cause the co-creation sure. process is such a, an interesting, um, interesting thing you know oh my gosh it really is the so that so cello yoga if you go into itunes and just search cello yoga that album will come up that album actually was created um it was composed and create and recorded in four days um i just walked into the studio with nothing and walked out with an album um and the purpose of that was to be able to share with people in a timeless way what cello yoga is like however if you experience it in person it's very very different because um are you familiar are you familiar with yoga at all or do you practice it at all yeah and you know i think a lot of people are pretty much familiar with yoga either at some level like at least uh right yeah they get some idea and there's deeper so the idea is that i work with uh the yoga teacher of that class and before the class starts she basically kind of goes over he or she goes over what they imagine the class movements are going to be like for the day. So I kind of have that general idea of like, Oh, they're going to be do- working on a lot of balance poses or wow, they'll be rolling around on the ground a lot today. Um, so I really just have this loose sense of what the class is going to be like. And then I have a looping pedal set up in my amp for my cello and everything. Um, and as the class starts, I just start looping layers of cello on top of cello Um, and based on the movements that I see in the class is how I add to those layers. So, you know, I'll play like three notes when they're in warrior pose, but when they're in reverse warrior pose, I can push a button and it will reverse those three notes I just played. Um, so you get the sense of like, uh, of being a part of and 
collaborating with the music as well. So, so is it pretty? Uh, yeah, yeah. It looks, it, you know, it can definitely get a feel for that, and it's akin to. You know your TEDx talk in, in a way. You st- when you start out with the um, uh, doing the same thing with the loops, um, but but we'll we'll talk about that in a sec. But I wanted to get to, so for, for this process, the co-creation process in that. Um, do do you see it akin to like jazz? You know, where each person in the studio is kind of playing bodily music, and you're just joining in on another level, or yeah, it's it's kind of like soundscaping. Um, because it's this marriage of aural or sonic landscape and physical landscape of the room. Um, you know, like if, and sometimes, sometimes as with jazz, like if you start to notice one of your fellow players or any improvisational pieces, um, if, if you start to notice one of your fellow musicians is like kind of struggling for, what to do next, then you can follow in or support them or help guide where the song goes. Um, so it's not just led by one person, you know, it's not an entertain, it's not an entertainment experience, at least for the musicians, at least. Right. So but with the cello, with cello yoga, um, I'm using the room to decide what I am going to play. And they themselves are also playing off of that as well. You know, like I have, I have had, um, people taking a cello yoga class and have come up to me and said like, you know, that one, one part where you were doing really fast stuff, I was feeling really motivated and I was really aware of how much the music was feeding that motivation to stand strong and to stretch further or whatever. So it's, it's a really neat uh, experience to see how, how my, it's a very tight feedback loop is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And so you're not just responding to the, you know, poses, you're responding to the people in that particular pose and changing yeah. the music based on all of that dynamic. Not, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like if I, if I was just playing a song that I had composed and just, you know, press start and then finish um, at the end of the song, you get a feedback you know, via applause or some sort of silence, awkward silence from the audience. <laughs> um, but with the cello yoga, I can see it w- with everyone's physical bodies how they are responding to the music. So if they're in a balance pose and I play really low music, I've just learned this, if I play really low music, like low in pitch, um, then people don't falter and teeter totter as much as they would. If I played really high notes, um, it's really, it's, I'm not a scientist. I, you know, I wish I knew a lot more about it. I just know that from experience that like, if I do certain things, I can help their practice a little more. And you get feedback, not only during, you know, with kind of like the feeling feedback, but after the class, like you said, the, the yeah. person came to you after the class. So you, you, you definitely see it reinforced. So it's not just a, a feeling, but but people will verbally tell you, yes, you know, it, right. it was more grounding. Huh. That's well, and I think that's that that tight feedback loop is really rare for musicians, um, especially today. You know, like uh, I. 
don't want to say that either because it's, sometimes it's very different. But I will say that that tight feedback loop or learning how to perform within that tight feedback loop before I, because I started doing the chili yoga stuff before my tremor started getting bad. And I don't do a lot of the chili yoga right now. Um, but I still have elements of that kind of performance and that tight feedback loop in my performances that I do today with, you know, singer songwriter, um, pop folk songs that I've written, um, in the concert, I'm constantly talking with the audience. Um, there's always like questions and answers happening. It's never just sit down and listen for the next 50 minutes and then talk to me at the merch table afterwards. It's, it's a constant feedback loop that I'm looking for. Right. Now, do you sometimes use some of what you've created with, with the cello to help your own creative process like let's say you sit down and you're like i want to get motivated let's see if i'll use one of my loops that i've recorded and mm. it'll get me to a state of mind where i can go ahead and jump into the creative process that much faster you, you know, know i was talking i was talking yeah. with my friend um who's a trumpet player the other day and um, he has a he's a phenomenal trumpet player just absolutely stunning and we were both talking about how when we create parts or when we write parts, it sounds very similar to our instrument, like of origin, our instrument of origin, um, regardless of whether we're playing that instrument or not. So I know, I know just from what I know about songs and songwriting that my melodies really, uh, um, are align well with strings, um, and cello lines, um, just because I spent 20 plus years playing a cello and it makes sense that those skills of, you know, creating those melodies would bleed into my songwriting as well, whether I'm singing it or playing it on guitar or piano or, um, it, it, it very much feeds and has nourished my, my songwriting creativity. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that's that's good. That's good. And yeah. you know, you could you know, just uh set up a uh you know, writing motivation loops and <laughs> or uh Well, know. and I don't do the loops the loops as much, but I do I I definitely like if I'm in a songwriting sit down and I am struggling to find something more than just two notes to go back and forth between um, I will really just cut off the words from my brain <laughs> and just sing what I would have, what I would play on the cello. Oh um, yeah. Okay. And that's I, what I'm talking about. So I don't, yeah. I don't use the cello as, um, as a under, I, as the foundation of the song, but I definitely will sit down and just think, okay, what would I do on the cello? And that is usually what it what the melody ends up coming out as. I got you. You bridging yeah. the gap between the instrument you were primary playing to exactly your voice and other instruments that you play now. Well, and I'm sure that that, that happens a lot with visual artists as well. Like um, my songwriting mentor is a she's a really great watercolor um, and and ceramicist as well, and. I would definitely describe her songs and her 
pieces of ceramics, her tiles, she does tile work, um, and her watercolor as almost the same. It's very, very different, of course, but the characteristics that separate her songs from other people's songs are the same kind of characteristics that separate her watercolor and her tile work from other people's. So it's very much your personality comes forth in whatever medium you're, you're choosing to pick up. So you, in the beginning, you were talking about, uh, you, you know, just in, and uh, partway through, you, you know, you feel a creative burn right now. You, and so you're reaching out, you're, you're doing the podcast. You have a lot going on, basically, because you're feeling yep. so creative. And you mentioned um, ha- having some ideas that you wanted to share in terms of, you know, uh, 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 business practices and what have you. And uh, for our audience that uh, might be juggling many things as you're doing now, what have you found particularly helpful for uh, for that juggling and, and uh, sure. staying creative during that? So three things. I mean, this is like stuff I tell. I have sometimes we'll do some marketing consulting for fellow authors or creatives and um, and the three things I always am repeating over and over and over again in various forms, of course, in, in depth and various depths and everything. Um, three things. The first is do the work once. So do it right the first time. Or, uh, and a lot of that has to do with prepping and planning and, pr- and doing some strategy before you pull the trigger. Um, because you want to be able to just do the work once and then hopefully set up a system that it does it itself without you later. Um, the second is is making sure that your your audience is not overwhelmed. <laughs> because it, wh- if you're like me and you've got like a ton of things going on and you're really excited about all of them, you want to talk about it all. But, um, like when I'm sending an email or doing a tweet or just kind of spreading the word, I try to only talk about one thing at a time. Um, and that's really helpful. Um, so I'll often send, send an email to my newsletter, um, every week. And sometimes this week I didn't do it. I'm so, so do as I say, not as I do. Um, but I will often do this where I write a whole email where I talk about a bunch of stuff, but the only things that are hyperlinked are, is just one page, like one page I want them to go see. And I reference it a bunch in that email. Um, Cause then that way you get like the one action item out of an email or a tweet or a Instagram post or whatever you're ending up doing. So, yeah. Um, and then the third thing is to write every morning. Like I do a stream of consciousness, like word vomit every morning for like 15 plus minutes. And then I control alt and delete <laughs> and just like start the day fresh. So I, I end up some days I end up writing a whole bunch in 15 minutes, but then I don't keep it. Um, 
because there's, yeah, that's, uh, (laughs) because, you know, I, I, I'm following along with the, the others, but, but the, uh, but the delete part with the stream of consciousness, uh, it's really, I, I yeah, I can see it from an artistic standpoint because it's like, that's in a true form. That's what art is. It, It goes out there and it's gone. Because, you know, it just... Well, it's very it's, similar to... It's very similar to practicing scales as a musician. Ah. You're not, you're not practicing... You're, if you're playing scales are... I should say, playing scales is so necessary for you to getting really good at how to express yourself with your instrument. However, no one wants to purchase a whole album of you playing the C scale, <laughs> but you still have to put about 10,000 hours into just that C scale. So... <laughs> So, um, it, with writing that morning stream of consciousness, word vomit dump is really important. And also you, maybe you come up with something awesome and you can totally copy it into another document. But uh-huh. there's, there's, there you go. Right. You, you like a least, sentence or two, yeah. but I will tell you that when you're in a true stream of consciousness writing format, it's just, it's just gross. It's not exciting at all. It's like yeah. talking about how, like this morning I was writing like about how astounded I was that this was the third shower that I accidentally left conditioner in my hair <laughs> after I got out. I was like, Oh God, I need to turn back around. And so it's really mundane, silly, useless stuff that you don't want to read again. No one wants to read that again. And that's the point because all of those thoughts are going on in your head, whether you like it or or not and by just vomiting it onto something it gets them out of the way so that you can think about and create the things you want to create right right and all that makes sense and i'm glad you said the la- the, the part about at least every once in a while you know you get a gem of something and you take that and expand upon it elsewhere in a in a you know something that you totally can share yeah okay i got you oh yeah, yeah but that, i mean that, makes sense. that- if, for instance, that's a sentence that I copy out into something else or like a to-do item, like, oh, yeah, I need to for- remember to not forget to do that one thing, um, it becomes something completely different once it's its final project or final thing. Right, right. But really, it's fleshing out those ideas. It's getting garbage out of the brain and really getting, you know, hopefully gleaning some gold in there every once in a while you know exactly just okay yeah okay nice nice i like that so the podcast just to to loop back around um where uh where can people go to to listen to the podcast and uh if they want to know more about your book and everything else what sure uh, where can they so um you can go to my website which is emilyannpeterson.com or barenakedbravery.com Bare Naked Bravery is the name of the podcast, and the Bare Naked Bravery just forwards to my website right now. So, um, and I have an email list, and you can sign up for that, and you'll get all sorts of goodies from doing that, which is really great. Nice, yeah. And any any last uh, advice for those that are uh, maybe feeling a little, um, you know, uh, not not as creative as as you might be right now. <laughs> Um, I would say that that creativity is definitely an, an ebb and a flow. Um, there there are seasons of dryness, and then there are seasons of harvest. And the only way for any sort of harvesting kind of plant 
to get to harvest season is to just be in spring and be in the summer and be in the winter. Um, and, and, and as long as you know that the harvest time will come, um, it, I think it makes it a little easier to go through those dry spells. That's really good advice. But being, uh, yeah. being you know, every day being a plant is <laughs> every day being a plant is all you can do. So as long as you are doing what you need to do, um, as in terms of habits, um, that creativity will flourish when it's time. Right, right. Allowing allowing things to be sometimes and mm-hmm. and chill. All right, yeah, yeah. nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Emily, it was really great to have you on the show. I really appreciate you coming on here and, and uh, sharing some uh, great great habits and also uh, your story. Um, and uh, for those who um, you know want to hear more, uh, go to our website, but also the podcast. I, I listened to all the episodes, most recent episodes, and so uh, check it out. Thank you, Emily. Thank you for having me. <laughs>